Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. to be in Luke chapter 8, starting with verse 41. And the last time the message was titled, From Bondage to Freedom, it was a very interesting sermon because whether you look at the Old Testament or New Testament, there are our understanding of fallen angels who they're now considered demons. And there was a man at the time when one of the shore uh, towns that was demon-possessed and Jesus cast the demon out of him. So, sort of a, a little side, uh, a little aside. We kind of get went in a little bit about demonology. What is it? What do they want? Um, you know, what is our defense against that, et cetera, et cetera? And Jesus, actually, next Sunday we're going to look at Jesus, where he gives his followers the ability to cast them out. So, it's a fascinating subject. If you didn't get it, you can check it out online. Uh, this morning, the message is titled "All Means All." And probably one of my greatest challenges to putting a message together is, what do I title it? (laughs) And did I title that the same thing a few Sundays ago? So all means all is sort of a sub-theme of a very powerful, you know, account of what Jesus did. He heals somebody in this passage we're going to read today, and then he does a resurrection. (laughs) And for us, that's like, wow. For the disciples, it was like, yeah, another resurrection. You know, they must have seen it a lot. It must have been incredible to to walk with Jesus. So uh, we're going to see this, this incredible healing, these incredible uh, feats of, of only something that God t- could do, that Jesus did. Uh, but we're also going to understand the spiritual meaning behind it. And all means all. So we say God loves everyone. Jesus died for all of us, right? So here you get a picture of this sort of sub-theme, which is where I got the title from, in two very different people in the community. Right, financial means, um, class, stature, uh, things to that nature. So we're going to look at this woman and this man, how different they are, and how Jesus is—he's, you know, he does this equity or this. You know, we hear all these terms today: justice, equity, uh, equality. And in the world, organizations don't do a good job because it's run by sinful human beings. But when the Lord does it. It's impeccable. It's perfect. And it's something as Christians that we could learn from it as we go through it. So let's jump in and um, see what the Lord has to say. And we're going to cover this in five parts. So verse 41, it says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter above about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. So one out of five is an urgent situation. Certainly, Jairus is a synagogue ruler. He comes to Jesus, he falls at his feet, and he begs Jesus. He's in desperation. This is his 12-year-old daughter. Uh, Seems she's his only child. She's young. We don't know what her condition is, but we do know that it's tragic. Now, the synagogue rulers back then, and this is very important to understand, is they were the CEO of the synagogue. Jairus would have been responsible for running day-to-day operations, the business end of the synagogue, the administrative end of the synagogue. 
he would also be responsible for running the spiritual end of the synagogue. And they didn't have to be that big. Uh, Some were larger than others. But this position often attracted men who were wealthy and well-known in the community. So this man has some status or some stature in society. In Matthew 9, he adds, Matthew sees something that he feels he must put into this gospel account, and there's reasons for it. He says in Matthew's gospel, the same account he puts in that Jairus comes to Jesus and he worshiped, he worshiped him. Now this is important because there's false teachings today that say that Jesus was a really nice guy, he was a cool dude, he was a prophet, but he wasn't God. And that's problematic. We actually saw last Sunday when we covered the demon-possessed man that, that sort of like Job 1, where the demons have to come and give an account to the Lord. So in this situation, even the demon-possessed man can't hide from Jesus. Let's hide behind a tree, maybe he won't see us. They have to, they have to go to Jesus, report to him, and we're also told that that man, the demon-possessed man, falls down and he worships Jesus. That's interesting because in the book of Revelation, John the Apostle is given really a tour by an unnamed angel. We don't know. He's a good angel. And John is so, he's a paroxysm. He's so overcome with what he sees in these visions. He falls down and he worships the angel. And the angel tells him, get up. I'm a fellow servant. Like, you don't worship us. We're not to worship angels. We worship God. So the fact that we see all throughout the Gospels is even demon-possessed people worshiping Jesus. They have no choice. We do it because we want to. Jesus is God. It's very clear when you take everything in totality. Verse 42, sometimes we read things in the Scripture and we say, why does that belong in there? Jesus was thronged. Okay, It's a word not used today that much, but the synonym is to be squished or to be strangled. Okay, It must have been very hard when the crowds start amassing because Jesus is in human form. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. He doesn't want to zap them and make them all fall down so he could, you know, get some space. Um, It must have been hard for him to move around during his earthly ministry. This also plays into why there's a little bit of a delay. It's a crucial delay of Jesus getting to Jairus' daughter and she perishes. But at the end, it's all good news. Verse 43, continuing on, it says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Two out of five is a face in the crowd? Question mark. It's a colloquialism. It's an expression that we use in American culture. This anonymous person. There's so many people. The person's just a face in the crowd. However, she wasn't just the face in the crowd. Luke focuses on this unnamed woman in the crowd. What do we know about her? Well, for 12 years, and that's the only similarity between this woman and Jairus is the number 12, is that for 12 years, this woman had a flow of blood. She couldn't stop it, right? Was it an, an, an anovoluntary um, or an ovulatory, excuse me, uh, uterine condition? Could have been. Was it a chronic wound condition? Right Today we know about sugar and diabetes, clotting factors. We, back then they didn't know a whole lot. So this poor lady, we don't know where it is, but she just keeps bleeding. Um, maybe some more, some less. We, we, we don't get the details. However, 
If she didn't have access to regular washings and hygienic care, it could have made her ceremonially unclean because of the laws of blood. So I'm, I'm setting up the foundation here. You know, I love to do my investigation, do all the, you know, the legwork, put everything together. Now we get to understand we know this woman a little bit more. She's not just you know, words on a page. We know Jairus a little bit more and his daughter a little bit more from putting all the background together. I love doing that. To make matters worse, when we take all the Gospels together, it tells us that she spent all of her money on physicians. Now, she could have been wealthy at some point, we don't know, but she's got no money left. <laughs> Everything she had, she for 12 miserable years trying to get this condition under control, any physician she could go to, she's spending money. And it said, the Bible tells us in the other Gospels that they actually made, at some point, they made her condition worse. So she's going for help, right? The expression, first do no harm. Well, unfortunately, maybe through ignorance or whatever, they did her harm. And she's struggling. Now, we have to kind of look at this, and if we've lived long enough, maybe we've had a condition. Maybe we've suffered with something. Could be emotional, could be physical, could be whatever. And, you know, we just, we go to doctors, we go to holistic uh, treatments, we dietary changes, everyone's given advice. And, you know, if this goes on long enough, it could actually drive you crazy a little bit. You just want to be healed, right? So let's personalize it a little bit. You know, for me personally, I have this sort of thing that I do. Um, it's a legal term. It's called the first right of refusal. So when something happens to me, I always go to the Lord first and say, Lord, it would be great. You see what I'm going through if you could heal me. Nevertheless, it's your will. So sometimes I have been healed miraculously. Other times I've had to go to surgeons and doctors. But I'll tell you, I just, I leave it up to him at this point because I've had several surgeries. I've had good surgeons and, you know, they're, they're prepping me and I get that stupid hat on and the robe and, you know, before they juice me up, I'm, I'm trying to talk to them about the Lord and, you know, and it's cool. I've made a lot of good contacts with the medical community. So I look back and I'm like, yeah, I don't regret it. I've got some scars, but, you know, it, it's sort of like this thing. You trust the Lord and sometimes he does a miracle, but it's, it's up to him. It's his will. So she touches Jesus' garment. She's immediately healed. Now, if you lose blood faster than your body can replace it, you develop what's called uh, comorbidities. She could have had anemia. She could have had weakness. She could have been, had lethargy. However, why do I say this? Because it factors into her effort and determination, right? You ever been in a crowd? You ever been to a concert? You ever been, I don't know, book signing? Uh, whatever the case may be. And uh, it can be scary. People have been killed in crowds. There's been stampedes, right? And sometimes you can be in a situation where it gets out of control and you're like, I can't even breathe. Everybody's on top of you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so... So these people, are, they're thronging Jesus. She's not in the best physical condition. And could you imagine how determined she was to get her hand at least through to just touch his garment? She wasn't going to let anything stop her from making that point of contact with Jesus. My question is, are we determined to get that close to the Lord? Do we allow things of the world to get in our way? Do we give up too easily? Or like this woman... Against all odds, do we desire to make that point of contact with Jesus Christ? And we, we have to ask ourselves that question. It's an important question, especially in the summertime when everything's going on. 
Now let's look at defilement. Normally, if a person, especially a religious leader, uh, had contact with blood in any, any way, uh, a leper, the dead, whatever the case may be, they would become ceremonially unclean, right? This kind of spiritual thing that attaches to uh, one person and then it just gets transferred on to others. However, Jesus, as you know, never was defiled by anything because he is God the Son. It was always Jesus's uh, ability to reverse that defilement, never to be defiled anything you know we would be or the in the Old Testament they would be, but Jesus was never defiled. He was always able to reverse that situation because he is he's God, he has the power of God. And I'll just leave you with this one point of interest before we move to the next two verses is that Jairus had 12 years of pleasure watching his little girl grow into a young lady and now is experiencing misery. The woman, on the other hand, had 12 years of misery and was hoping to experience pleasure in the form of healing. However, what brought these two together was they were both children of God and they both were desperate for relief and they could only turn to one person to get it and that's Jesus Christ. Right? And that's what we share together. Whatever your issue is, spiritually, emotionally, physically, Jesus is that nexus point for all of us, regardless of the condition that we're suffering from. Verse 45, and Jesus said, now I can't, I can't help but find the humor in the Gospels. I, it, to me, it's, it's funny, because I, I picture, I have this imagination of what it must have looked like with the disciples, right? So Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him, of course Peter, said, Master, the multitudes throng you and press you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. This is important, because people held superstition back then. Power didn't go out from the robe. Jesus met her in a point of contact. The power was from God the Son. That's where the power was from. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Powerful stuff. So three out of five is he meets us where we're at, right? He meets us where we're at. Jesus asked a peculiar question in the midst of being pressed and thronged. And if Jesus was pressed and thronged, then his disciples, likewise, they were close to him. They were also being squished. It was funny. It's funny. I have to laugh. Sometimes the disciples would say to Jesus, send the multitude away. You know, every day, another crowd. I can't breathe. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, they're humans, right? They're, they're working through this. It's a learning curve walking with Jesus. So if I could paraphrase the disciples' response, Jesus, this is practically a stampede. We're all squished, and you asked, who touched you? Could you imagine being the disciples for a moment? Half the time, they had no idea what he was talking about. The other half of the time, they had no idea what he was going to do. But it must have been a wild ride. Remember, nobody could see the miracle. Right? These things happen she immediately felt in her body that the flow of blood stopped. She knew it. The Lord knew it. Right? 
Could you imagine her joy? And folks, whether it's a healing or just receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior or uh, going through some uh, painful situation emotionally and just trusting the Lord, leaning on the Lord, praying, drawing strength from Him. Listen, when you have that contact with Jesus, it is an incredible experience. Amen? Verse 46, I perceive power went out of me, he says. Meditate on that for a moment. Again, nobody could see this transfer of power to this woman, right? Uh, It's just so powerful. And folks, I've said this before, and as we've gone through the Gospels, Jesus asked a lot of questions, but I would say the majority, of the, I'd probably say maybe 100% of the time, when Jesus asked the question, he already knew the answer to it. We covered this last Sunday. This actually was a, a sort of a rabbinical style of teaching with questions, right? How do you get your students to learn? You don't just throw information at them. You ask them questions and see what their feedback is. How are they working through the problems? Actually, uh, someone who is a, a good therapist will not just throw information at you. They will ask questions of you. They will help you to work through those problems. So Jesus is asking a question because he's looking to elicit a response. Now, this woman, if you can put yourself in her situation, she's frightened. She doesn't know whether to go up and thank him or run away, you know, Remember, she comes from a Greco-Roman culture. Was she a Greco-Roman? Was she from another continent? We don't know anything about her. Was she superstitious? Did she think he had a magic robe and she could just touch the robe? Remember, he met her at a point of contact. It didn't mean he wanted to uh, engage her in her superstition. He actually, I believe, started asking those questions to out her, so to speak, so that he could make a greater contact with her So she doesn't walk away just with a healing. Great, she's healed. That's wonderful after 12 years. But that he could save her soul. You see what I'm saying? So he has this dialogue with this woman. She's probably scared. She doesn't know what to expect. But you know what? She didn't run. And she was there not just to get something out of Jesus. There's something probably that compelled her to stay put and not run away. It's powerful stuff. She, Jesus wanted a relationship with her. So when we look at the border of, and the garment, and people do this, they, you know, they say, well, um, if, as a rabbi, he would have a sort of robe, and, and there were the tassels, and the tassels had meaning, and all this kind of stuff. But I just look at this as, if she, if she could have hugged him, she would have. If she could have touched his shoulder, she would have. Maybe she thought, I am so weak right now, if I could just grab... When the wind blows and, and his robe is, if I could just grab that, I'm going to be healed. So it's very powerful stuff. And you know what? God wants to ask you, right? He wants to ask you. We go to church. We have a live stream audience that's several times more than the people that sit in the pews. You know, do you just, what do you want to touch Jesus for? You know, what do you want to listen on the live stream for? What do you want to go to church for? Is it just to incidentally bump into him? He piques your curiosity, or do you want more? Do you want a relationship with Jesus? Will you stick around and receive that free gift of salvation? Will you, will you ask him into your life? Will you, with a, a work of your free will, reach out? You know, a relationship works in two directions. It could be your best friend. When one party stops 
giving in a relationship, the relationship falls apart. So a relationship is a two-way street. God did the heavy lifting. He sent his son to die for our sins. Right? He did that. That's huge. That's something we could never repay or even incidentally uh, you know, pay back. But we also, he's not going to force us to come to him. A lot, a lot of neat stuff in here. I just, I just love it. Could be tens of thousands of people got healed during Jesus' earthly ministry. We don't know those numbers. But maybe only a few thousand got saved. Verse 48. Jesus calls this woman daughter. I can't help it, but to me, every word in the Gospels, every word in the Bible, the phrases mean something to me. And they are powerful. So she's referred to her, the woman, the woman. Jesus refers to her as daughter. Hmm. So it doesn't say that she had a condition from birth, but it said that she was suffering for 12 years. Jesus was probably in his early 30s during this time. Is it possible that she was older than him or the same age and he's calling her daughter? What does that tell you? He would call men sons. He's God the Son. He, was, he had a hand in the forming and creating us in our mother's womb. And I say this because there's, there's, it's not the majority, but there's just a lot of weird little teachings um, superstitions in the Christian culture. You can see it on some of these internet ministries. You know, this one idea that Jesus uh, secretly married Mary Magdalene and they had kids. Why? He looked at women as his daughters. He created those women. He looked at men as his sons. See, when you start to take the Bible in its totality and you hear something like that, you have a discernment that says, that's ridiculous. And I can give you 10 reasons why that doesn't make any sense. That's why it's so important to know the Bible. Amen? Again, was there 100 people in the crowd? Was there 1,000? We don't know. We don't know. But God attended to her needs because she was special, because she was a protected class. No, because she desired to make that point of contact. So a few parts to this. I'd like to look at this. A few points, actually. A is... You aren't just the face in the crowd. God loves you. He knows you personally. He knows right now what you're struggling with, whether you realize it or not. Your deepest, darkest things that haunt you or keep you up at night. He knows you. You're not a face in the crowd. Yes, God can attend to 7.8 billion people on planet Earth and everything that's going on and still have a relationship with you. I like to say that God is, I always say God is the best multitasker. He, he can do a lot of things at the same time. We don't understand it. But he does it. Now let me flip that. B, don't be a face in the crowd. Remember what I said about relationship? It goes in two directions. So everyone was thronging him, but she was looking for something more than just an autograph or a selfie with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So don't be just a face in the crowd. You know, you come back and you, some of these people might have come back to their village. Wow, this guy is awesome. He, he fed us all. And, you know, I had this, this eczema and I just, he touched me and the eczema is gone. And, that's about, that's about it. And people do that today. They bump into Jesus. They press Him. They hear about Him. They, they visit a church. But do they have a relationship with Him? Because that's really what He wants. See, have faith. Have faith. There's billions of people on the planet, but God responds to faith. Right? He responds to faith. Maybe she had the faith of a mustard seed. Maybe that's all she had encapsulated and grabbing that garment. That's all she had. She was just tapped out. She was exhausted. You know, if you've been suffering for a sickness 
for 12 years that especially the magnitude that, her, that she was, that emotionally she was spent. But she had enough faith of that mustard seed to say, this is it, this is, this is my only chance. And you know what? God honored that. D, her faith made her well. I always say that, especially if you look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. So faith is a vehicle now to salvation, to have faith in what Christ did on the cross. That grace that God has stored up that he wants to give to all of his creation, everyone on planet earth, although we have free will so we can say no, that, that, that grace comes to us in, in the form of faith when we receive and we trust and we, we give him a shot, we turn to him. It just comes cascading down on us. I just think of a just like a waterfall on a really hot 100-degree day. It's like so refreshing. But this was a little bit different. She had faith, and again, it was a vehicle to, to the physical blessings, to her healing, same thing. Faith was that vehicle. Faith is a vehicle. It carries things. It carried the healing from God down to, down to this person. So I say it vehicle not like a car or a train, but a vehicle, something that carries something, right? Um, it's invisible, but it's powerful. So it wasn't that this, this inanimate object, she, she, her faith had to be in something because it has to carry something. So don't get the wrong impression. As long as I have faith, I could do things I don't need God. Her faith was connected to God. You can't, you know, you could sit down on that pew, all of you are doing it, you're not looking underneath. You have faith that whoever constructed that pew, it's going to hold you up while you sit here while I go on and on and on, right? So you, you do have faith. Right? We exhibit faith every day. Some things are not in God, but the most important things are in God. Amen? And E, God meets us where we're at. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab at this, and I'm going to say that the woman wasn't a theologian. I'm, it's just a guess of mine. So, you know, he didn't say to her, well, what are the five points of the theological treatises, and if you don't get this right, you're not getting healed. He didn't do that. He met her where she was at. Right, And I know I'm, I'm, I'm being repetitive, but it's so important. God meets us where we're at. And I've met people that have come from uh, you know, other belief systems and uh, maybe pagan, polytheism. I had a lovely discussion with a woman who got saved from a totally different culture. And she, I gave her as much time after service, me and another one of my pastors. She just had so many questions about Jesus, but she took that step of faith to come forward and receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior. She knew enough to receive him, but she didn't know all the little minutiae, but she was excited to learn it. Boy, was that an exciting conversation. I love having those conversations. So this woman, you don't have to be a theologian to come to God. You don't have to be, a, that's the whole point, right? You just have to be willing. That's the only requirement. Um, God will meet he met her where she was at. He'll meet you where you're at. She's a work in progress, and we're also a work in progress. We could be Christians 20, 30 years. We're still a work in progress. So verse 49, continuing on, last few verses, it says, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler. We almost forgot about Jairus here, didn't we? Right? We're so busy talking about this woman and her healing that what was the rest of the story? Well, we, we got to talk about Jairus. So it says, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, 
Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And actually, they did know that she was dead. Even in those cultures, they know someone has life in them and someone doesn't. So technically, they're right on a technicality, not to laugh him to scorn, but knowing that she had, she had perished. But he had put them all, the, all out. He took her by the hand, called and said, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. I love that. <laughs> Everybody in the village knows that an hour ago she wasn't with us anymore. Don't tell anybody. You know what I'm saying? Could you imagine that? Oh, Lord, forgive me just this one time. You can see what he did. Look, she's up. She's walking around. We're giving her food. And um, yeah, so maybe that was, a, that was a, a little sin. But how do you contain yourself? Now, there's a whole eschatological reason why he did this, right? As he got closer to the time, he would reveal who he was. And then the crucifixion had to come. Um, but he also was looking to, and I don't want to speak for the Lord, but I also think he was looking to get people in the right spirit based on their understanding of the things of God to reverse the superstitions and the religious. There's a lot of things in religion that are just wrong. They're unbiblical. They're ungodly. So Jesus in the first century, he had a lot of work to do. And then there was a time that would come where he would die for the sins of humanity. But it was actually on God's, it was on the specific time clock that really has to do with the prophecy of Daniel 9, etc., etc. So, you know, this is, it's fun going through all this. Okay, so four, too late for a miracle? Never. Jesus was taken too long with the crowd and the exchange with the woman and Jairus' daughter passes. Now, in that moment, did Jairus have conflicting feelings? Was he resentful? Did he feel somebody got ahead of me? Right? Sometimes, you know, people can think that, right? Even in the Christian culture. They're so down on themselves, they think that others are better than them. Well, these people in the church, they're, they're better than me. You know, I'm, that's not the way God looks at you. He looks at every single person as important and valuable. So he has time for all of us. His advice to Jairus was, do not be afraid, only believe. If you've been with us long enough, you know I always put a caveat in the scripture, right? In, in the sermon, back that up, in the sermon, not the scripture. So when we read Acts chapter 19, it says that there were unusual miracles wrought by the apostles. So there were some very unusual things, like everybody was getting healed and uh, people were getting resurrected. But even the Bible writer tells us that at this time, this was a season, and there were some unusual miracles wrought by the apostles that people try to duplicate today, and they fail. Uh, Also, at the time that Jesus was on the earth, it probably, I don't know, I'm going to guess, you're you're hanging out with Jesus, you're walking with him at least once a week. Somebody's raised from the dead, there's a leper being healed. It must have been, I'm just wondering what the frequency was. Maybe when I get to heaven, I have some childlike questions that God might answer. Maybe to him it's just not important at this point. But, you know, so so there's a lot of things going on. 
And some people today wonder about resurrections and things like that. You have to read the Bible in its context. Even the resurrections that Jesus did, is Jairus' daughter among us? She was resurrected. No, she was also subject to the laws of physics and biology and sciences. How do I know that? Because as soon as he resurrected her, what did he say? Go give her something to eat. Right? Because her stomach now had to start digesting food and getting energy, and she wasn't like a superwoman, uh, you know, one of the Marvel comic figures, uh, superheroes. She was a 12-year-old girl who was resurrected. So what Jesus did was he showed us about resurrection. He taught us a lot of things. And it was sort of a type of the resurrections to come. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, right, he wasn't to die again. He's eternally in the heavens. So he was the, what's called the first fruits of the resurrection, right? And this is kind of neat. I love this. It took me a long time to learn all this stuff. And, you know, you start, people can read the Bible the wrong way and come to the wrong conclusions. Uh, so I just felt I needed to put that out there. Do we believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Absolutely. Right? I'm, I'm exercising a gift of the Spirit now, teaching the Scripture. Evangelists do it. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of gifts. that. That's a whole different sermon. But let's go to the next question. <laughs> I can get on rabbit trails. All right. Why were only three disciples allowed in? Now some, and I don't know, it's okay. I might be wrong. Some people say, well, you know, they were the ones that really were up to snuff and they were, they had more faith than the other nine. And I, I don't know that I believe that. Uh, Peter was impulsive. He said things that you would say, Peter, you've been Jesus with so long. Why would you say that? Um, I believe that three disciples were allowed in just like the mourners were ejected, right? And I believe it was a sensitive matter and not a circus. And that's important because when you look at ministry today, especially when someone is perishing, someone's passing away, you know, it isn't a, it's not a show. It's not a circus. You know, sometimes you can see some of these faith healing services and it's almost like a circus. I mean, me personally, if God gave me that gift that every time I prayed somebody got healed, I would probably leave here and go to the oncology ward and start laying my my hand on little kids and getting them out of those beds, you know? Why just do it in the church? So, you know, it wasn't a circus. It was a sensitive thing. Yeah, Jesus knew he was going to bring her back, but this, this was grieving parents, right? Hey, everybody, check this out. Look, clinically, you, know, you didn't do it that way. So that's my opinion. I could be wrong. Uh, verse 52, Jesus said she is only sleeping. This is key in how we see death on this earth. Now, Christians, we should see death differently, okay, now that we're believers. And how does the world see death? Especially those that believe that when you die, you cease to exist and your whole consciousness is done forever and ever and ever. That's a problem, okay, because it's not true. But the world sees death as that's it, it's over. Jesus sees the girl's body and he said she's only sleeping. So the body was sort of, it, it, wasn't, it was not doing anything. Jesus had to actually get her spirit and reunite it back to her body. It's fascinating stuff, isn't it? So as Christians, when we start to understand the scripture, we even see our own death as differently, right? And, you know, when we go through a surgery, we go through something that could be scary. You know, we pray to God, but at the same time, we realize, well, I know I'm not going to be in a bad place. I've trusted the Lord. I know 
as soon as my heart stops beating and my lungs stop breathing, I'm going to be with the Lord. And the Apostle Paul tells us that in the Bible. So that should be very comforting. In verse 53, he says the, Jesus says these things and they mock him to scorn. And this is what happens sometimes when we go through this world. Because this world looks at things very differently than those of us who know God's word look at it. Jesus did a lot of reversals. He did a lot of challenging people's preconceived ideas of, of you know, the human nature and, and the spirit. And again, Lazarus, uh, he waited four days till he comes. And Lazarus was his buddy. Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. But there was a, 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 a superstition that the spirit hovered over the body for like three days. So Jesus is like, that's fine. I'll give it four days. <laughs> Watch me bring him back. So he challenged the heart of the superstitions of the people at the time. And I'm telling you, in the Christian culture, there's a lot of superstitions. And you say to yourself, where do you come up with these things? So five, last part, connections and contrasts. All means all. Jairus' daughter, her dad carried a lot of weight in the community. If you look up his position, wealthy, well-respected, People looked up to him. He was a man of means. His name was in there. And she was his daughter. So, he's super important. Or you have a woman, we don't even know her name. There's no name, we don't know her name. Maybe other people didn't know her name. Maybe this whole thing happened. She went and she told everybody in her village what happened, but the disciples never caught her. Hey, did anybody ask her? Oh, man. By now she's back home. How come nobody asked her? I don't know. But she's an unnamed woman. She was probably by herself, and she had nothing. Because the Bible tells us everything she did had, she spent on physicians. She was sickly and probably ignored by most of the people in society. However, however, you know what's interesting? She gets healed first. Jesus didn't say to her, lady, you've had this condition for 12 years. Another four days isn't going to hurt you. I'll be back. Let me go and hurry up over here because of this, because Jairus has called me. I'm going to come back and I'll lay my hands on you. He just let her be healed like that. So she got healed first. And there was a whole big thing surrounding her healing and her spiritual well-being. Very exciting. So if you're looking, if you're sitting here or you're watching and you, because listen, I'm going to be honest with you. The first time I showed up at a church, my wife and I, we were in the world, man. We were we were in the world. We were tough customers. And we looked around. And everybody was, was standing and their hands were up. And we kind of looked at each other like, maybe we don't belong here. So I'm going to tell you from experience, I was one of those people who thought, I don't belong here. I just should go back to my, my life. God would never be interested in me. Thankfully, people introduced themselves to me before I left the church. And I made some connections. And they helped me to understand that God did love me. I might not have felt it because of where I was in life, but... Folks, if you're wondering, could God love me? How many times, if I had a dollar for every person who said, if I step foot in your church, Pastor Joe, the building will catch on fire. It's never happened. And we have a really good fire suppression system. And the fire department's right down the road. I always tell them, just come. Watch it on the live stream first. If the place doesn't go into flames, then walk into the place. Come on. Stop with these excuses. It's another superstition. So if you're questioning whether you're worthy, he's worthy and he died for your sins. So you don't have to be worthy. 
Another question is, how many bumped into Jesus and weren't healed? How many, again, bump into the church? This is a community church. On any given Sunday, somebody walks in off the street, hey, that's a church, there's a cross, let me check it out. Right? You bump into Jesus, because Jesus is here. Jesus is in the Word. Right? The Word is important. Is it just an experience? Are you looking for something out of a church? Uh, maybe ceremony, liturgy? Or are you looking for a relationship with God? Isn't that amazing that some, and again, I'm not mocking anybody, they'll come to church and they'll, they'll, they're at an arm's distance. They're at an arm's distance. This whole relationship with Jesus thing. How can I have a relationship with the living God? I just want to come to church. I want to feel good about myself. I want to do a, a good deed here and there. And they hold God at a distance. They bump into him, but they never embrace him. Don't be that person. Embrace him. No doubt there's people who have been watching, whether on the live stream or here physically in this building, who have been coming for a while and still don't have a relationship with Jesus. Let that change today for your benefit. And lastly, God meets us where we're at. Do you realize that Jairus and the woman both had ideas about spirituality and they were both wrong and God still met them where they were at? So we know about the woman. And I don't know what she thought, the garment and just, you know, you, you remember the Greco-Roman culture had the titans and they had special powers and maybe this is all she knew, right? However, Jairus also had a superstition. He felt Jesus has to go through the threshold of my house and touch my little girl and she'll be okay. Even his friends believe that because what did they say? The entourage comes out to meet him and says, don't, don't trouble the teacher. She's gone. I'm sorry, Jairus. Well, give Jesus a chance to do something. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus met Jairus, was wrong where he was at. Jesus met the woman, was wrong where she was at. That's amazing, isn't it? This is why I love the Bible. This is why I only take a few verses at a time. I'd be here all day with you, you know, covering a chapter. There's just so much power and so much love in this word. So here's my question at the end of the day. We, we see it. We understand it. We see the miracles, we see the love, we see the equality. All means all. It's all in here. But my question to you is, whether you're watching or whether you're here today, so what are you going to do today? Did you just bump into Jesus through His Word? Or do you want to make Him a part of your life and have a relationship with Him? It's your choice. been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.